Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. Longing, rusted, furnace, daybreak, seven... Oh, sorry, you caught me doing my voice (laughs) (laughs) warm-up. Ready to comply. Zero G, episode number 1260. Our title is Mind the Cull as You Alight from the Brain. G'day, I'm... Rob Jan and Megan McHugh and here we go with an assortment of eclectic eccentric electrifying subjects on today's zero G now we're going to start with a I was going to say a live in studio interview but uh, we're actually going to do this over virtual reality so you (laughs) need your headsets and goggles on out there or your skin suits or whatever your whatever way you receive your virtual reality uh, whatever method. So we are talking today to Doctor Cat Doctor Doctor Catherine H Kenobi, which is um, I've probably pronounced that like Obi Wan, haven't I? It is pronounced like Obi Wan. It is. Yes, that's correct. There you go. See, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> and she is a cognitive scientist working and lecturing in developmental psychology. Her debut science fiction novel Mind Cull is out now from Ford Street Press. And, uh, well, um, it stars uh, Isla Fulford, a teen who runs her own video clip blog channel. Uh, she's not a high-end contributor, but she is genuine. And she upload, the uploads that she does win her a, a slot on the shortlist to be the face of Pearl. Pearl is a mega corporation that produces, amongst other things, a bleeding-edge virtual reality full-body interface called a skin suit. Uh, trademark. <laughs> Her nominations to this selected com- competition attracts the attention of a range of interested parties who have their very own ideas about exploiting her sudden elevation. And so I'm not going to ask you the question that everybody, according to you, has asked is that you on the front cover? It is not me on the front cover. <laughs> <laughs> it is instead uh, somebody known to Zero G. Uh, is that a good thing? I'm not quite sure. Cat <laughs> um, Larson. And um, well, let's see, that's what I'm assuming because it looks like Cat. And she's done part of the design for the cover, which is the, the title character, um, Ela Fulford. She's done a wonderful job. I have many people say, um, love the cover. So, yeah, mm. she's done a great job for me. Mm. Now, um, there are two types of cyber technology in this book, uh, virtual reality for full immersion and a kind of everyday life sort of walking around enhancement, um, overlays and so on. The, the um, overlay technology, that sounds very sim- uh, very familiar and I can imagine that as you're walking around with uh, little captions popping up and enhancements on things to tell you what to do. Uh, yeah, that's right. So... Um in this, in this future world that my main character, Isla, lives in, pe- most people, nearly everybody, um, wears a headset, but the headsets have evolved. So it's um, usually independent um, lenses in your eyes and, uh, like, um, buds in your ears. Uh-huh. And through those, you can 
sort of operate in the virtual world. And so I kind of used the the model that we have now of smartphones, you know, everyone's got a smartphone and relies on it for all sorts of things in daily life. And this is how people in this future world um, rely on their headsets. Well, not quite everyone. <laughs> most people. Yeah, well, just as well I'm not most people. Uh, but I know what it's like to walk around with a device and, and you know, you're playing Pokemon Go or something like that or it'll be telling you where, uh, where to get um, gelati or the best movie that are on or you know that sort of thing um in this when, when this is a near future world do you think it's very far in the future it doesn't feel like it no my idea is it's not that far into the future i was thinking maybe 20 or 30 years into the future mm-hmm. the age of the smartphone came on pretty quickly really that's like right. that's only been about 10 years 12 years or so and now it's so embedded so I think you could be spot on. Mm. It's frightening. <laughs> there was there was one one thing that made me smile a little. There's in, international law enforcement gets involved in uh, Isla's story, and at one stage she's um, detained by them, and they say that they can hold her for eight hours before they have to let her go. Only eight? <laughs> what do we suddenly become a utopia? <laughs> <laughs> a mere eight hours. A mere eight hours. <laughs> uh, okay, now one. Young adult stories often focus upon a chosen one, which is kind of a basic human instinct. We always all want to be special. Um, using your uh, experience as a, a cognitive scientist in developmental psychology, can you talk to that point? Uh, so I guess there is a sense in which Isla is like that. Um, I've kind of thought a lot from a from the perspective of cognitive science as to what would set someone up to be um, useful to a big tech company and useful to promote the virtual reality and Isla has particular vulnerabilities so um, just her particular um, sets of uh, both strengths and weaknesses make her someone that's susceptible to the virtual world and can be immersed in the virtual world and as the plot progresses I'm tr- I'm being careful here because I don't want to give away the twists and turns uh-huh. but um, as the plot progresses it turns out that she's um, particularly vulnerable to influence from via the virtual world so um, the headsets which um, everybody's using and relying on are not as benign as um, people in the society perhaps believe and can be used in various ways to influence um, people's thinking. And it turns out Isla's quite vulnerable to this. And so one of the fears in her, as the story progresses, one of her fears is is her own mind uh-huh. at risk. Um, so I guess she's... She's the the very things that make her vulnerable also make her somebody that can enter into the virtual world and connect with people in ways that others can't. That's, that's very concise, <laughs> and it's also very now, isn't it? There, there, there's massive um, uh, worries on the part of the establishment, <laughs> shall we say, about the um, the effects of of the the growing immersion in the in cyberspace. 
Yeah, that's right. And I know you've talked on this show before about how we willingly have given a lot of our information mm. um, <laughs> over. And in this world, that, that, so that particular trend I've kind of extrapolated. And in this world, people like to live stream their lives to their friends so they can use their headsets to actually um, sort of signal to others or... Um, put across to others what they're seeing and hearing and so if I'm interested in what Megan's doing and she's not with me I can actually and I'm her friend I can actually tap into what mm-hmm. she's seeing and hearing if she's chosen to um, transmit that but it turns out that people like to do that everyone wants to be a star yeah. everyone wants to be a celebrity <laughs> so everyone's just like we all put up photos on well not maybe not all of us a lot of us put up photos on social media in this world everyone's kind of running their own tv show of their lives Mm. But that's it's a very strong trope at the moment in science fiction, uh, ironically in media science fiction, of course, of Black Mirror. They've got half a dozen episodes where people are uh, sucked too far into virtual reality mm. or occasionally it's even been useful to them. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, that, that's been running around so long. It's, um, uh, you know, go back to... Uh, and some of Neil Gaiman's work and, uh, you know, well, the whole cyberpunk kind of movement, if we can call it that, with William Gibson. Um, and there was a, a movie in 1999 that um, also had a, a VR gear apparatus that was addictive in itself. You know, it's, it's a trope that runs across Red Dwarf, Star Trek, everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so what, when you were doing it, were you aware of these other sorts of um, precursors? Uh, not all of the ones that you've just mentioned, I think, but um, yeah, some of the some of the more some of the movies um, popped into my mind, like The Matrix and mm. various other movies that in, um, involve virtual reality. I guess I just the way I came at it was not so much from what others had done, but more from the perspective of what's the world like now, and where do I think it's going to go. So with every aspect of the technology and the people's lives I thought well what do we do now where do I think that's going to head and if I'm if I'm taking the plot in the direction of virtual reality being the the sort of the um, key technology of the future Mm -hmm. then how's that going to play out in virtual reality so how's social media how's gaming um how's like in in this world this is how we communicate now so we communicate via our headsets so in fact i probably interact more with you in a virtual or augmented reality than i would in person and i'm really interested in that idea of technology being the mediator between you and me in our relationship because i think that that's what's happened say over the last 20 or 30 years um, when you're a teenager one of the key sort of jobs of being a teenager one of the key developmental things is is working out how to form authentic relationships and growing those relationships and technology just comes right in the middle of that now in a way that it didn't when I was a teenager for example and I think that that's it going to be even more the case in the future so the challenges of actually having a committed or authentic relationship with someone when technology is right in the middle and you're actually communicating with them via technology and they're presenting themselves on the, in the virtual world uh-huh. and you've got to actually negotiate 
that added dimension as you as you work out how you're going to relate to people. So, for example, my main character, she's presenting a version of herself on the clips that you mentioned, or I call them V-clips in the book, but they're sort of like YouTube videos that people mm-hmm. post publicly so everyone can see. And she's really popular on those, and they come across as, you know, fun, spontaneous... Um, whereas, in fact, she scripts them really carefully, plans them mm. all out, and she comes across as a very effervescent personality in those, but, in fact, she's very socially anxious. <laughs> she so there's too. a huge gap between her virtual persona and her real self. And so when everyone loves her virtual self, it's nice on mm. one level, but on another level it doesn't really aff- affirm her because she's like, well, they don't really know me. And um, I think that sometimes happens now with social media. I think that's very interesting in ter- as a YouTube tragic myself. <laughs> I do watch a lot of like vlogs and things like that. And yep. I think what you've described is interesting. I think that's quite close. I can see that happening a lot sooner in terms of like a VR as social media, which we're sort of already doing as opposed to something like the holodeck. That seems still seems quite far away to me in terms of when we'd get something like that. Whereas I think people, you're right, they're already interested in sharing parts of their lives. And so being able to do it in this kind of, yeah, I don't know, faux authentic way, um, yeah. Speaking of holodecks, I noticed at least one Star Trek reference in the uh, in the story. Are you a Trekker? Uh, I, well, no, not really. <laughs> um, I'm more of a... You don't have to be. With the name, you know, sorry, everybody. <laughs> I have watched episodes, but I wouldn't call myself a trekker. Um, there, I obviously have to know a little bit about Star Wars, having the name Kenobi. So um, there's a couple of Star Wars uh, references yeah. in there too. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's interesting. Um, speaking of technology as a filter between people nowadays, hmm. um, I mean, we're speaking of a radio, which is a very old technology that forms relationships between people. Yeah. You know, we've had we had telephones when I was growing up. Um, the the landline telephone was the big relationship mover amongst mm. teens. Uh, you know, so it's not entirely new, but perhaps the the presentation of the false, well, not the false, the uh, the curated persona is a bit different. I do think too, because it's easy now. Things, all of that stuff, it makes it very easy, and it's at your fingertips, and you can do it in a very short amount of time with a low amount of effort. But I remember if I had to call someone on the phone, I'd need to know them well enough to get their phone number. I'd need to feel comfortable calling them on the phone and being sure that they would be there and answer and talk to me. Whereas now, I think you can have much smaller, more superficial interactions. As opposed to, because I think when I was a teenager, calling someone on the phone was like, big deal. Don't do that to everyone. Mm. But I think nowadays people would definitely like write a post on someone's wall without thinking about what that means. Mm. Yeah, and I think that that's actually really interesting because every new technology like the phone and like the printing press and writing a book, you know, was Mm. greeted with suspicion and used in various, made people uncomfortable and was used in various ways sometimes for the betterment of society and sometimes in some very destructive ways. So in that way, we're not saying, you know, in that way nothing has changed, but in another way things have changed profoundly because the technology is so powerful um, to to take you into another place. To con- It's so compelling in a way that perhaps words on a printed page or even a voice over a, a, a person's voice over a phone are not, so that um, in... The book, I've got this sort of everybody's 
virtual worlds and their actual worlds are intertwined, but for some people this becomes dysfunctional and they just get merged because they're so lost in worlds that aren't real but they're perceiving them as real, it actually um, has some negative impact on them. So, yeah, I think it's the power of the technology now that's different. And you're right about technologies always people are always suspicious of new technology and worried about it well thank you mary shelley back in the day f- for the trope of let's <laughs> let's 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 be, science be a cautionary tale it's it's not the science it's the people using the science yeah. is it not you right. can always you know yeah <laughs> right that's right it's the intentions well um, we were saying how uh, eager we we've often talked about this how 1984 never really discussed how eager we would actually be in the event to hand over all of our personal details and information Mm. and pictures of cats and all Yeah, our children and all kinds. You know, I've got a Google Home. I'm sure it knows everything about me. (laughs) So I think today's David Bowie track uh, might be um, the Big Brother one. I think that's probably appropriate. This is Neil Gaiman in the dangerous alphabet. Zero G comes last. Z waits alone and it's not for a thing. Here we are, I think, in the virtual reality studios of Free Triple RFM. I'm streaming from my eyeballs, the (laughs) console, very exciting console, (laughs) and our playlist for the day. Uh, Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And also we have Catherine Kenobi, who has a book called Mindcull. That's M-I-N-D-C-U-L-L, out in Ford Street Press. Actually, I can remember back in the day when Zero G started in 1994, I think... um, the uh, the boss cocky of uh, Ford Street Press, uh, Paul Collins, actually was one of our first author interviews. Ah, oh, that's nice. Yeah, a bit of a blast from the recent past, we'll say. <laughs> so this is a book about virtual reality, and we've we've um, we've had a stroll through the the implications and the resonations of VR, um, and we you know a little bit about VR addiction and so on. What about crimes committed in virtual reality? Like a character is killed online in a in an immersive game is or virtual goods are stolen or destroyed um Catherine, do you do you think that actually is a crime oh that's a good question You're before the ethics panel now ah. <laughs> i think virtual theft is if you steal someone else's like i don't know gold coins or whatever but what if you steal their loot like you know, they're literally their loot or their sword, magic sword. I'd be or... pretty upset by that. I don't know about crime though. Yeah. What do you think, Catherine? Mm. I think it would have to be a crime if that stood for something in the real world. Ah, if you... So if that was meaningful to you beyond the virtual world, I think it would be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Which you can see that there are instances where there's crossover and the things that happen in the virtual world actually have a big impact on when you go back to the real world. I actually want to take back the title for today's show, which was Mind the Colours You Alight from the Brain, which was influenced by my turbulent public transport journey. And I actually think I'd rather call it Isla's in the Stream. <laughs> I shall change it. No, put it as a subtitle. Okay. <laughs> Does that mean you're going to play Dolly Parton? No. We should. <laughs> no, no. She's always appropriate. Is she? Love Dolly. You don't like her? No, I've never heard you say that before. Everyone loves Dolly Parton. Um, 
Yeah. What genre has she been in? Fair, fair. fair, fair. Her songs have been in plenty of genre films, That is right? true. That is so, true. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, we digress. We digress. <laughs> <laughs> One detail that uh, vastly amused me, it's just almost like a throwaway line. Uh, somebody says that it's illegal to travel without devices. Right, yeah, that's right. So you can imagine if your ticket and for the train and your identity, yeah. everything's stored on your headset, you can't actually establish who you are or that you've paid for anything without your headset. Mm. So it's it, it has progressed further than the smart our dependence on the smartphone in that way. I mean, we do keep information like that on our smartphones, but we don't have to. But in this world, you can't actually go to school or um, go through the ticket barriers at the station without the headset which identifies who you are. And I wonder if that, 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 that also comes from like a, a multi-pronged sort of social... Uh, pressure, like, mm. uh, for example, oh, everybody has a phone. Yeah, like an equaliser. Why would you not have a phone? Mm. Are you suspect? I think people <laughs> are <know>. suspect, no. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, well, as God is my witness, <laughs> I am that suspect. To be fair, you travel with a device that's attached to the internet, and I would say that's, despite its lack of cell service, Yeah, it is... Uh, Essentially, well, it's then, still connected. Then there's Rob. all the implants too. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, with with regards to the whole virtual reality thing, have you actually um, been involved in any VR games? Have you played any of that? Or? I haven't um, done much of that. Um, okay. I have a friend who, um, when I used to live in England a long time, long, long time ago, and I had a friend who was, in, you know, developing the cave and I was my first experience of virtual reality and I went in and used, um, used it and it was quite, it was lots of fun and I really enjoyed it. But that wasn't an actual game. He was doing virtual reality applications for a whole range of things like com- having a conference and various things like that. Yeah. Maybe, it's the, maybe it's the play aspect that works so well for uh, VR and, and other technologies. Once they turn it into a game, mm. then people get interested in well, it. Well, it's the whole augmented reality thing at the moment. People are doing lots of interesting things with that, with like business cards or like yeah. things, you know, that you can pop up and see extra things if you look at it through your smartphone or whatever. Well, I'm thinking of um, uh, things like the uh, the Chinese social credit system mm. where it is like a game. You're You're popping up points, uh, you know, if you cross the road and don't jaywalk, you know, all these things build up. And, but it has real-world consequences. If you lose too many social credit points, you can't travel on public transport. Right, and wouldn't that have been science fiction just a short time ago? Mm. That sort of system, like that would be in a science fiction and, and we would regard it as something, you know, fictional and now it's actually happening. And that's the power of science fiction, isn't it, that you can explore the future in a way that's really compelling because you know people um, imaginatively engage with story in a way they wouldn't with if you just discuss abstract ideas mm-hmm. so i think that that's the, the really interesting and exciting thing about science fiction especially if you want to um, engage younger people because they're in particular um kind of the key um readership for for this book although of course Everyone reads young adult literature, right? Not just young adults. Very true. It's true. <laughs> um, for me, it has to be uh, a certain type of um, young adult literature that's, that is that is not writing down because right, yeah. I'm an adult reading it, so I have to feel like it's there for me as well. I 
would say I don't think there are many young adult. I think most young adult novels don't really write down. Mm. I haven't really read any that are. Because I think the idea would be they tell young adult stories, but they're not necessary. They don't have to be less literary. Mm. I guess one of the, the telling features of young adult fiction is it usually stars young adults. Yeah, well, that's the criteria <laughs> for being young adult, right? The Pretty protagonist much. has to be a certain age. Pretty much. It's sort of told from the perspective of a teenager. Yeah. yeah. And that, that makes it young adult. Whereas if you're an adult reflecting on your teenage experience as a story, that's not seen as young adult necessarily because it's from an adult perspective. Do you know what? Mm. Until this very moment, I'd never thought about that. Yeah, so it's not young adult in that the writing is less because the readers are younger. Mm. It's the type of story that's being told from what perspective. I, I certainly have no need to be convinced of that. I mean, I grew up reading Robert Heinlein's Juveniles, which are very complex novels. Mm. Mm. Okay, so uh, we're talking to Catherine Kenobi, whose book Mind Cull is out in Ford Street Press now, and we were um, wondering uh, if you had any other influences from science fiction and fantasy along the way before you read this book. Well, lots of different ones. I love speculative fiction, but um, for this particular book, I think the big influence was The Hunger Games Mm -hmm. because I read it I came to it quite late actually and when I read it I thought oh this is such a compelling way to tell a story because it's in the first person it's quite simple language it's in the first person present tense and it enables you to get into the head of Katniss in a way that uh, Mm. um, other styles of writing don't and I just found it really compelling that and because she's a great character as well, that that helps. But I felt like um, the style really grabbed me and I wanted to um, emulate that particular style of the first-person present tense, immediate, lots of things happening and right inside the character's head so that there's no distance between the reader and the events. Mm. So that the reader is actually... <laughs> almost being thrust into the virtual reality that is a book. Exactly, and that's the technology I'm using, the paper. Yeah, so (laughs) in fact, um, that's what I was going to say when you were talking about it before. In fact, I'm doing something similar, as you spoke about with radio, creating worlds and um, communicating via that medium. I'm trying to do that through this Hmm. other medium, yeah. But I'm still trying to take you into another world and hold you there. You know, and not let you go and make you stay up late to finish it and find out what happens. <laughs> well, well, this is interesting. You've got the um, both of these uh, these um, proto virtual reality technologies, the printed page, mm. uh, and also radio. These these infiltrate your brain via the medium of your ears and eyes. Maybe there's going to be some more. VR that involves the other senses, uh, taste and and smell and so on. I think there is, yeah. I think that I'm not sure about taste. I can't remember reading about taste. Definitely smell and, you know, touch with the haptic gloves Mm -hmm. and all that. So, yeah, they're definitely working on it. And I think that that increases the power of the technology and therefore the immersion so although if you might be fully immersed in a game in front of a screen, how much more so if you're actually perceiving the world 
through um, your senses of at least sight and sound and touch, um, how much more immersed can you mm. be? And then if you, um, it's interesting. I have a bit where in the book where she's walking along the street and she doesn't like the street that she's walking along. So there's a public service where you can actually. I think the council puts it on where you can actually, <laughs> you know. Uh, walk down a virtual street that's much more pleasant than the current street so she's switched over to that like most people are but she can smell the dry earth so the the the, she doesn't have um the sense of smell um on her day-to-day use of virtual reality because it's just through the eyes and ears so she's walking along and everything looks really green and lush but she can actually Mm. smell the dust yeah it's very very australian that (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, that's, um, that's about it for our interview today with uh, Catherine Kenobi with Mind Cull. Is there a sequel? There may be a sequel. Maybe a sequel. <laughs> yeah. Watch this space. Watch this space. <laughs> and you are working on something else at the moment. Um, uh, what would that be? I am working on a um, middle grade story, so for a slightly younger um, readership than um, Mind Cull, and it's about a... 12-year-old girl living on a rural Australian island who gets thrust into a epic battle between otherworldly foes. Ooh. Ooh. Sounds <laughs> up our alley. Yeah. All right, well, thank you very much, Catherine. Thank you very much for having me on the show. And thanks for Paul Collins uh, from uh, Ford Street Press for facilitating this interview. Mm. And the book is Mind Cull by K.H. Kenobi. That's C-A-N-O-B-I out from Ford Street Press, which does wonderful work in the realms of young adult fiction and beyond too, and have been doing so for, my God, decades now. Mm. Yeah. Right, now, uh, Catherine has chosen a track from the Cranberries. Uh, Why this particular track, Catherine? Uh, I chose this because um, it's about what's in your head. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's the kind of... um, scary or that's the way I'm building the tension in my story is what's going on in your head how are people getting into your head how are they using virtual reality to change your thinking can you can people see what you see and 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 how are they influencing your thoughts I guess and also how do you know what other people are thinking so this kind of idea of what's in your head um, made me think of um, my book yeah yeah great there you go Independent Melbourne Radio 3 Triple R. This is China Mieville, author of Perdido Street Station and The Scar, and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Hmm, so many choices of platform. <laughs> and if you wish to indulge in Zero G when we are not so live. <laughs> which is a bit of a worry as we're coming up to Halloween. Well, perhaps not a worry for Zero-G listeners. Perhaps more an expectation. Exactly. Default. Uh, yes. You can listen to us in the live streaming at rrr.org.au or, or in the podcast. Yes, exactly. Where our podcaster, Kayla Larson, doing her diligent job of presenting us after the fact. Yes, Exactly. Of all those libelous, <laughs> <laughs> scatological and physically improbable comments taken out. <laughs> no, she didn't actually do that. We are just the way that we are normally. <laughs> now, Zombieland 2. Yes. 
Double tap. Double tap. Wow. <laughs> it's um, a sequel to the original Zombieland movie, not too surprisingly. And that was, uh, oh my God, that was uh, well back in the 2000s. They were all little babies. Mm. Let me look up when we were looking. Tiny little babies. So the original Zombieland came out 2004. Yeah. Oh, no. No. Scratch that. Directed by Ruben Fleischer, anyway. Uh, who's best known? 2009. 2009. 2009, yeah. So we're talking about um, start of the MCU mm. as well. Uh, and he did um, Gangster Squad and most recently he directed Venom. Ah. And he did two episodes of Santa Clarita Diet. Oh, you liked Santa Clarita, oh, didn't you? I love that show. Mm. I, was, I was quite chuffed to hear that um, they'd filmed Deadwood in Santa Clarita and that Timothy Oliphant was reprising his role. <laughs> Not as the guy from Santa Clarita. No. no. <laughs> it's written by Rhett Reese. <laughs> Remember, we've run through his name again before, and that's one of those names that we always like to think of Scooby-Doo pronouncing. Yeah, that's right. Rhett Reese <laughs> and Paul Wernick. And those are the two um, uh, original writers of uh, Zombieland, the first one. And they also did G.I. Joe Retaliation and Life, that science oh, fiction yes, movie. the space one. As well as the two Deadpool movies. Right. Very successful. And created the reality series, The Joe Schmo Show. But those Deadpool movies, they rocked. Yeah. And so these two guys, Reese and Wernick, have considerable chops as far as I'm concerned. Uh, third writer, David Kelleham. And now he's actually um, a bit of a star. Uh, he has worked on um, a, a script uh, that ended up being The Expendables. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also... Did the first draft for Godzilla for Legendary Pictures. Okay. The uh, one that was with Aaron Taylor Johnson and Elizabeth Olsen? The Gareth Edwards one. Yes, yeah. that one. Um, with uh, Quicksilver and yes. uh, Scarlet, Scarlet Witch. Witch. <laughs> but in a different configuration. Yeah. Uh, and also um, worked on uh, worked on rewriting The Wolfman for the... Um, their dark universe sort of thing uh, that's yes, petered yes. out. Uh, and he wrote the script for Wonder Woman 1984. Oh, I'm very keen for along that with one, Patty by the Jen- way. Along with Patty Jenkins. Um, so, yeah, he's also doing the uh, the sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Oh. So David Callahan, a guy to watch out for. Yeah, lots of chops there. Mm. And, of course, returning to Zombieland, Ten years after they survive the zombie Acropolis <laughs> <laughs> is Woody Harrelson, Jesse Eisenberg, Abigail Breslin and Emma Stone all playing the uh, the locality named characters. Let me see if I can remember them um, in order. Tallahassee, uh, Columbus, uh, Little Rock and Wichita. <laughs> I think I got them actually. Nice one. Yeah. Uh, alongside Rosario Dawson. Yes. Uh, Zoe Deutsch. Deutsch. I love her. And Luke Wilson. So they, they started talking because Zombieland was quite quite um, successful in its yes. time. Yes, and it was a surprise hit. I don't think it had many expectations on it. It's a smart 
it was a smart, fast-moving mm. uh, zombie comedy. Very style stylized. Yes, very stylized. Lots of uh, great credit moments in slow mo, gorama. <laughs> Uh, and it felt actually like the first movie of a franchise back in the day. Yeah. Hell, it even had Bill Murray, star <laughs> of such great franchises like Ghostbusters and Garfield, <laughs> which they had fun with in uh, that particular one. In fact, Bill Murray was one of the stars of uh, Zombieland in the most hilarious way possible. Uh, it was a smart, funny zombie comedy and I enjoyed the hell out of it at the time. Why? And then it went into development hell yes. <laughs> for 10 years or so. Uh, and to be fair, a lot of the uh, the actors moved on. They had so many different on things to, to do. very big things. Yeah, well, you know, Woody Harrelson. It was in Hunger Games, like we were talking about before. Yeah. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg, should we mention that he was Lex Luthor? Yeah. Yes, well, he wasn't definitely not my favourite Lex Luthor. <laughs> what else has he been in? He was um, in Social Network. Social Network, yeah. Um, he was in... Bunch of other stuff. Yeah, Emma Stone. Yeah, she's gone from strength to strength. Yeah, well, she was in Gangster Squad as well, mm-hmm. um, which the director also did. And yeah, I mean, gosh, she's everywhere. And she's coming up in the new Cruella film. Mm. So it starts seeing some stills and pictures of that. Looks very good. Wait a minute, is that Cru- Cruella Deville? Mm. Oh, for God's sake! Yeah, they're doing. <laughs> they're, Disney's just gone off on some tangent where they're doing villain movies, live action remakes. Did you see Descendants? Descendants. Yeah, that's the uh, the one with the kids of um, Maleficent and uh, the the black, you know, the no. uh, the queen, the wicked no, queen. And I didn't. Was, yeah, so it's actually a two movie uh, little franchise. Interesting. Um, Abigail Breslin played Little Rock, and we've seen her. Maybe you know her from that uh, horror comedy Scream Queens. Oh, yeah, I did watch Scream Queens. Yeah, where else do you know her from? Uh, well, originally from Little Miss Sunshine from ages and ages ago. Mm-hmm. Um. Can't even, nothing really comes to mind. Well, those four key actors have all matured or, <laughs> well, physically at least, perhaps not mentally in the case of Woody Harrelson because <laughs> his, his character is uh, pretty basic but mm. fun. Um, and they've all formed this little sort of nuclear, as it were, post-apocalyptic family group. Yes. And, of course, they spin um, those relationships forward from that. And there are tensions created. A little bit like the the, uh, the television series Last Man, The Last Man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a little bit like that. Last uh, Man on Earth? Is it The Last Man on Earth or is it just The Last Man? I think it's Last Man on the Earth. Last Man on Earth. Uh, Rosario Dawson, and, and by the way, it's... Not descriptive, actually, because he's not the last man. Anyway, uh, spoiler. Rosario Dawson uh, appears in this as well. We've seen her in so many things, mm-hmm. from Josie and the Pussycats to Men in Black 2, both of the Sin City movies. Daredevil. Daredevil, uh, where she's Claire Temple, mm-hmm. Night Nurse. Yes. <laughs> uh, and she's done a lot of voice acting, too, in, uh, in comic book worlds, uh, where she's played Diana Prince, Wonder Woman, uh, and Barbara Gordon, Batgirl. Yeah. Uh, and um, lots of other different things too. So she's she's a solid presence always to have in there. And um, Zoe Deutsch. Yeah, so she was in this Vampire Academy movie. <laughs> Haven't seen it? Um, I'd advise against it. Um, she's also in, I mean, this isn't genre, she was in like a Netflix Netflix rom-com called Set It Up recently. I will recommend a vampire movie that she's in called Beautiful Creatures. Oh, yeah, she's in that too. Mm, and that is a really fine movie. Uh, okay, we've also got um, Avan Jogia, 
who plays a character called Berkeley because they're all named after places. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he seems to be stuck in um, in roles that allow him to be a bit of a stoner dude because <laughs> he was like that in um, uh, ooh, Last Teenagers of the Apocalypse mm-hmm. and uh, Now Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. One of those is a web series. He was also in Caprica as well. And we've got uh, Owen Wilson's brother, Luke Wilson. Owen Wilson's brother. Yeah. Uh, how he's been introduced his whole life probably. Yes. <laughs> well, I think there's a third brother who's there is Andrew, lower down the – Andrew. There you go. So he's the younger brother of those two guys. I think he was the one that was in – uh, I can't remember. Anyway. And and bless his cotton socks, Bill Murray makes it, an appearance. Yes, of course. Not a, not a, not a spoiler because he's in the trailer. Yeah, he is in the trailer. Mm. And he, again, he does. He appears in the best possible, most comic way. And I like to say, watch the credits. Stay till the end credits, as usual. That sort of it's thing. It's one of those movies one where you get a little movies. extra nugget. Yeah. So, okay, I'm watching this movie with all this great talent in it. And I'm thinking... All right, I'm, I'm there for that. It's got the writers, the director. Um, the dialogue sparkles mm-hmm. uh, in its grotesque way. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm giving them extra points. Okay. Because this movie is full of shouldn't work tropes. Yes, yeah. Uh, it's a sequel for Ones a start. Ones we've seen before as well, yeah. It's a sequel for a start after a very long time. Mm. Uh, Although that's a thing that happens now. That can happen. No yeah, time so. is too long in this day and age. No, but it, it, sometimes it doesn't bode well. No. Studios believe no time is too long enough. It introduces the stereotype of the dumb blonde. Mm. Um, and I swear that was one that I'm automatically set up Against. To being blonde myself. <laughs> We're going to get away with that. Just white, white. <laughs> but was it originally blonde, Rob? It, it was, was great. It was not. It was great. Okay. She, it's, um, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, Zoe, Zoe Deutsch. Zoe Deutsch is the, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Has she played that before? Because I'm not quite as familiar with her work. As... She usually plays like kind of a young, innocent, ingenue kind of yeah. character, like the innocent kind of character. So yeah. maybe this is just something she's having more fun with. But in this, is she's like a mall valley girl. So yeah. It's like, uh, uh, I think she's a really great presence. I want to see her do more stuff. But she does look th- this with... with Absolutely impeccable comic timing. I'm, yeah, I actually yeah. think she's probably very good. It's at her that. comment about having survived the Acropolis. Acropolis. <laughs> she walks into the Oval Room at the White House and she goes, "Yeah, yeah this is the the the." I can't even do that. Yes. <laughs> this is this is so. This is the Oval Office. Why do they call it that? <laughs> so there's an awful lot of eye rolling from the other characters, and Emma Stone nails that perfectly. Yeah, she has just got this. This stone cold sort of okay, <laughs> long suffering look. Um, the the stony stoner hippie trope is mm-hmm, in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tallahassee gets to be the reluctant father figure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, then there's the trope of the guys that look just like us. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, so they're really really tropes that you don't pulling out all these tropes from the mixed bag yeah. and not leaving any back. No, and it works. Okay. I swear to God, it works. Um, it was filmed in Atlanta. Yes. Uh, so they're actually in Walking Deadland, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and they do shout out to that show. <laughs> so I, I, I actually enjoyed the hell out of this. I just chuckled all the way through. You need to have seen the first one. Um, 
I'm too far gone, man. Mm. I can't tell with this one. Uh, look, they, it seems to me that they do explain every everything in it. Yeah, okay. Uh, they explain the um, uh, Columbus's uh, r- rules for mm-hmm, survival mm-hmm. and they throw them up in their usual sort of Fashion, measuring. the zippy, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there are some great slow motion things. There's also Zombie Killer of the Week. Oh, no. <laughs> And there's some very inventive stuff in that. Um, yeah, I, I have nothing but um, praise for this movie. It, it's it's probably not a necessary sequel. Okay. But given that we are... I mean, what sequels are necessary? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Endgame, Infinity but that's, Wars I doesn't work. That's not a sequel. That's okay. a t- second part of a two-part. Same as Kill Bill 2, not a sequel, second part of a two-part. Yeah. That's my, that's my rules of sequels. Okay, I'll go with that. Um <laughs> Yeah, so but but we are living in the the age of um, of unnecessary sequels. Mm. A sequel is something they devise after the first one was considered a complete story. Mm. I think after I think. after it made enough money, it's to an cover... after the fact thing. It's not a pre planned thing. Yeah, so. after it made enough money to cover the budget, for exactly. The or one. enough years has passed and the stars are big enough now that we can throw it a bone like with this. It used to be quite an an urgently considered matter because if it was um, say. A, a Star Trek film or something like that, it helped if you still had the bridge set in storage. Yeah. <laughs> that sort of thing. But they changed it anyway, so it didn't matter. <laughs> um, yeah, and and I swear it's probably the best use of the White House that I've seen for all of the current administration. <laughs> <laughs> Low bar, I know. No, I didn't see where you're going with that and it was delightful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, in, in terms of... Um, of uh, the zero G rating, it's a uh, yeah, <laughs> nice. What a lot of fun! <laughs> I think that sounds like a good yeah. I'm definitely going to go along to that one. Are there, are there plot holes in it? Yeah, it's a zomcom. Oh, who cares? Who cares? You know, it's not a, like a biopic of Abraham Lincoln. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a, a point where a character rocks up, and they should really have had a trunk load of guns, um, given the whole. Notion of the character and mm. what the hell? Who the hell cares? cares. <laughs> Some things have to be done for plot, and we accept that. Mm. As, as Tallahassee says, "God bless rednecks." Okay. Well, that's good because you've had a few moderate, I've had a few duds, moderate yeah. duds lately. So it's the best um, zombie film that I've seen with Bill Murray in, it in the last two weeks. Ooh, Ooh <laughs> shots fired at oh, Jim Jarmusch. You didn't mind that one, though. Look, I, d- I didn't. Um, and I'd see that again just to see Tilda Swinton play a Scottish samurai undertaker. Yeah. Wouldn't we all? <laughs> what can't she do? Yeah. I want to see her play David Bowie in a David Bowie biopic. Anyway. Yeah. Is she? I don't know. <laughs> If anyone knows anyone. Yeah. All right. We've actually played our Bowie track for today. We have. So what shall we do instead? Okay. We'll uh, go out today with a track called... um, uh, I think actually since it's coming up to Halloween... Halloween? Terrible. (laughs) All Harrow's Eve. (laughs) We should have something to do with Elvira. And this is from Elvira's Greatest Hits. And it's Leslie and the it's L Y S. Is that I've got something that tells me that that's pronounced East. Leslie and the East. I could be wrong there. It's called Zombie Killer, and that will lead us into Joe Brenatic coming up next with Astral Glamour. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. 
G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.